The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I would encourage you to open them to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 16, and then to John chapter 11. If you're using the YouVersion Bible app, you'll find an event for our gathering today where those verses are all listed out for you. Well, it's been a week, hasn't it? Talked a lot about hardships and realities and situations and circumstances of life. This week, as we know, Pastor Shane passed away. Um, Bobby Daggett's wife, Linda, passed away. Greg Elliott's father, Virgil Elliott, passed away this week. And Lee Robinson, Dave Robinson's brother, passed away this week. We have people in the hospital with COVID and cases are on the rise. Uh, Scottsbluff County made a list earlier this week that we probably didn't want to be on. Thankfully, we're now off that list and dropping a little bit. This has been a challenging week. This has been a challenging season. It's been a challenging year for everyone, not just the people in this room, but for everyone. In January of 2017, I came to Scotts Bluff and Westway Christian Church um, to interview for my role here as lead pastor, and I preached on that Sunday morning, and you guys hired me anyway, so I was grateful for that. While we were finishing out our time in Minnesota because we went home for a few months, I received an email from Shane. He bluntly told me, bluntly told me, that he did not envy my position coming in to be lead pastor at Westway Christian Church. I was coming into a church situation, replacing someone who had been here for more than 30 years. Statistically, those who come in after a long tenured pastor don't survive three and a half years. In the church world, we call them the sacrificial lamb. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? He also told me that he would be praying for me in the midst of this time, and I don't know how you would feel about that kind of email, but believe it or not, I was really encouraged by it. I was excited by it because it was honest and it was heartfelt and it was no nonsense, and in a lot of ways that described Shane. And in moments like that, where I was coming here into my position, and in times like this, what we need to hear is a dose of reality. Paul will write in Ephesians chapter four, he'll describe that as truth in love. We need to hear truth and we need to hear it in love and many of us are hurting today. We're frustrated and we're angry and we're disappointed and we're discouraged. Maybe there's some joy because we know that in Shane's case, like we know that Shane is with Jesus. So we have this swirl of emotions that we are surrounded by. 
we're anxious. I don't know about you. I'm anxious for some movement to move beyond this current moment. As we're driving home from Oklahoma last week and knowing that cases of COVID are on the rise in Scott's, like, I'm just ready for this to be over. And I know you are as well. I know we're all ready for this time to pass. So we wanna, we wanna be real. We wanna be honest about what's happening in our lives. As I got to know Shane, I would learn that he and I had very similar musical in, uh, interests. One of those was a band by the name of Pedro the Lion. Pedro the Lion is essentially, thanks Adam, um, Pedro the Lion is essentially one guy by the name of David Bazan. And David Bazan would, um, his albums are, are often stories and narratives, and they're often parables for those with eyes to see and those with ears to hear. If you pay attention to what he's talking about and what he's singing about, you pick up on truths. And Pedro the Lion's 2002 album Control is no different than that. It's the story of a man who's on a quest for satisfaction. And he pursues satisfaction in all of the usual ways that people who do not know God pursue satisfaction. He pursues satisfaction through materialism and consumerism. He pursues satisfaction in, in having the, the perfect family and the perfect children and the perfect life. Eventually, this transitions to alcohol and then adultery. He's a person who's on a quest. And like many people who are on that path of self-sufficiency, like many people who are on that path of selfishness, it catches up to the, to the, pro, to the antagonist in the story, to the, to the person that this entire album is written about. And I won't go into all of the details for you, but if you are familiar with the Lifetime Movie Network, you've seen this story before. It is an utter disaster. And in the second to the last song, Bazan writes this. Several friends came to his grave. His children were so well behaved. As the priest got up to speak, the assembly craved relief. Kind of sounds like us today, doesn't it? We gather together and we want to we hear relief. We want to hear meaning. We want to hear purpose. We want to know how to deal with the thoughts and feelings. We want to know how to mourn. But in typical Bazan fashion, he continues, he writes, but he himself had given up. So instead, he offered them this bitter cup. You're all gonna die. We're all gonna die. It could be 20 years. It could be tonight. Well, maybe David Bazan is a little too heavy on a morning like today. So let's hear what the Bible has to say. I'm actually, we're gonna get to 1 Thessalonians in a moment, but I wanna read to you from Ecclesiastes chapter three, a text that we, many of us are familiar with. For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, 
a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to scatter stones, a time to embrace and a time to turn away, a time to search and a time to quit searching, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be quiet and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. At one point I wrote in my Bible in the heading just above this text, this is just reality. It just is. What Solomon has done is he has skillfully put into words our lives. Every action of our lives. He's described it perfectly for us. And this real life is something that we have had a front row seat to all week long. But what do we do? How do we process this? How do we move on? How do we, how do we take action as a Christian? What's our play? Well, let's listen to Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. And now, dear brothers, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. If you've been to a funeral, you've certainly heard this text before. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Don't you want to see that? Like just objectively speaking, don't you kind of want to see that? To see the dead rise from their graves. We watched a program this week while we were, while we were with our children. It was, in, it was taking place in Lake Lanier in Georgia. And when they built Lake Lanier and other surrounding lakes, they actually built them over cemeteries. They just dammed the water up and Right over the top of cemeteries are these, or right, yeah, right over the top of these cemeteries are graves. And the divers go down and see the headstones. And as I'm watching this show, all I could think about was, now I want to see this there. Like if there's a DVD in heaven of, of, of things that we can watch, this is, an, this is a moment I want to see. People rising from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Here's some background information to what's happening in Thessalonica. There are some false teachers who are going around who are telling the believers there that Jesus had already returned. And they had missed it. So imagine if, if someone stood before you on a Sunday morning and said, hey, Jesus has already come back. You would understandably be concerned about that. 
because that didn't fit your profile. That didn't fit your mindset of what was going to happen when Jesus comes back. And then there were others who were still alive that were wondering what was going to happen to those who died while they were waiting for Jesus to return. Would they miss out? So Paul is writing to them. He's not writing to them so they will develop a theory of the rapture. Paul is writing to them to give them hope. To give them encouragement. To give them something to cling to in the age in which these people lived. So he tells them two things. When Jesus comes back, you'll know. It'll be the loudest thing you've ever heard. Yesterday... When Dave Parrish was, was, was preaching my sermon at Linda Daggett's funeral, we didn't coordinate that. But when he was talking about this very thing, do you remember, who heard that thunder yesterday? All of you did, because it was loud. As soon as he talked about this in the text, that thunder happened outside. And I wish God would do that today, but he's not gonna do that for me. See, when Jesus comes back, you're gonna know. It'll be the loudest thing you've ever heard. You're not going to miss it. I don't know how everyone around the earth is going to hear that noise at the exact same time, but that's what the text is telling us. When Jesus comes back, you'll know. And he's also telling them that, that those who've died haven't missed anything. So we don't need to grieve like those who are without hope. I want you to notice here that Paul did not tell them not to grieve. We're gonna come back to that in a second. Paul says, you, Christian, believing that Jesus died and was raised from the dead, you believe that when Jesus returns, he's bringing back with him all of those who have died. And if we, were, if we were to read chapter five, which we're not gonna do this morning, but if we were to read through chapter five, what Paul's going to say is he doesn't know when Jesus is returning. So they shouldn't get caught up in, in theories and conspiracies and all of these other things. I'll take David Bazan's words out of context for a moment. It could be 20 years. It could be tonight. So we don't know when that moment is. So Paul writes in chapter five to be alert. Don't fall asleep. Be ready. Because when that noise comes that everyone is going to hear, that's going to be the moment. Well, how should we grieve? What does it look like for believers to grieve. If we're not supposed to grieve like those who don't have hope, how should we grieve? For that, we turn to John chapter 11. Beginning at verse one. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. 
But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. You ever thought of anything like that? But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises in the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him, I've always believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher's here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus's grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Have you felt that this week? When Jesus saw her weeping and the other people wailing, a deep anger welled up within him. And he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Have you felt that this week? Lord, if you had only been here, 
my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus hears that twice from Martha and then Mary. So if you want to know how to grieve, if you want to know how Christians grieve in a way that is with hope, we grieve well when we are honest about our feelings. We grieve well when we are honest about our feelings. Why wouldn't Martha and Mary feel this way? Jesus waited two days before going to see Lazarus. Why wouldn't Mary and Martha feel this way? We've talked about this text before. Notice Martha's spiritual platitudes is how we've described it. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, I believe in the resurrection. I get all that. I know that, that, that when you come back, Lazarus is gonna be alive. See, Jesus doesn't play these spiritual platitude games with people. And neither should we. A few weeks ago, Sunday afternoon, I went over to the Coop's house and I walked into the house and I foolishly said, is there anything you guys need right now? And MZ, without meeting a beat, said, a cure for cancer would be nice. And we kind of chuckled like that, just like you did. Because see, in those moments, MZ and Shane and Miranda and Milo and the Coop family, they don't want a spiritual platitude. They don't want us to simply point ahead to some future resurrection. And I'm not saying we should not talk about the hope of Jesus. But we must not give spiritual platitudes. We must allow people to be real. Because what they wanted is they wanted Shane to be cured. They wanted Shane to be healed. And that's okay. So we grieve well when we acknowledge the reality of death. We grieve well when we acknowledge the reality of death. And we grieve well when we acknowledge the reality of the resurrection. Mary and Martha, they were, they were caught in this loop. What they wanted was, they wanted healing. They wanted Lazarus to be healed. But what if I told you that what God wants is new life? There's another Bazan song that talks about this. Actually, it's the same one that I quoted from earlier. Paraphrase. I've been wondering why we go to so much trouble to prolong the unavoidable. See, what God wants is new life. And new life is better than healing. And in the moment, it may not feel like that. In fact, often it does not feel like that. But what God is interested in is new life. So when Jesus sees all of this weeping and wailing over the loss of Lazarus, he was angry. Well, I wanted to know what that meant in the original language. So I looked it up. The Greek uses phrases like indignant, to snort with anger, to blame, to sigh with chagrin. So you know what word I want to use to describe how Jesus felt right now. 
And that's how Jesus felt. He was angry. Why? Why was Jesus angry? Like if I'm reading this scene and I'm, and I'm finding myself and I'm putting myself in the shoes of Martha and Mary, which is a place that we should all put ourselves in in this story because we have all experienced the loss of a loved one. And we're wondering why and we're asking these questions. So if that's me, if I'm Martha or Mary who's just lost my brother, I'm gonna ask, well, why is Jesus angry? Because I thought he was the resurrection and the life. I thought anyone who believes in him will live. I thought... Anyone who believes in him will never die. Jesus could have saved Lazarus. Why is he angry now? Well, why is Bobby Daggett angry? Why is Greg Elliott angry? Why is Dave Robinson angry? Why are the Coops angry? Because death still has a bitter grip on mankind. Death still has a bitter grip on mankind. And while it's not popular in 2020 to talk about the fall of mankind, to talk about things like original sin and death coming from one man and one woman eating the fruit from a, from a tree, like we can't understand any of that stuff. We bear the consequences of that sin to this day. And one of those consequences is physical death. So if you're following along, we grieve well when we are angry at death. We grieve well when we are angry at death. So Jesus asks where Lazarus is and they tell him and off they go to the grave. And thankfully, we have a verse that almost that anyone alive can memorize And Jesus wept. We grieve well when we weep. And as I was thinking about this text this week, isn't this amazing? Isn't this amazing that God tells us how to weep, how to mourn? That God gives us permission to mourn? Isn't this good news? See, some of us read 1 Thessalonians chapter four and we feel like what we should get out of that is life is all gumdrops and lollipops and unicorns and we should never mourn. We have to steal ourselves to be strong because I don't wanna mourn like those who are without hope so I better not mourn at all. And what God is telling us through his word is that we can mourn. Isn't that awesome? So be angry and be sad. Acknowledge what you're going through. Acknowledge this and be honest. Don't offer platitudes. First Thessalonians 4.13 is not a bludgeon. When Ann and I were sitting at Miranda's house on Friday, I didn't write... 1 Thessalonians 4.13 on a piece of paper when she was sitting there anxious and upset and slided across the table in some passive-aggressive move to make her feel guilty. Because as Christians, we have a way that we can mourn that honors God. 
And I would love for you to enter into that space. Because death still has a bitter grip, but you should know something. Death does not have the last word. Yeah, you can clap for that. Death still has a better grip, but it doesn't have the last word. Let's finish out this section from John chapter 11. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. And if you have a King James version, it probably says something like, he's been in the grave for four days. He stinketh. Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Lazarus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his feet wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. See, Jesus has the last word. There's gonna come a day, and I don't know when it is, when what Bono describes as a sound that will drown out the world is going to come. So as Christians, we grieve well when we acknowledge that Jesus has the last word. This is how we grieve. So mourn and cry and be angry and be sad and acknowledge that Jesus has the last word. Will he shout your name? Will he call you to join him in this moment? If you're here today or if you're watching online and and you've never acknowledged Jesus as your Lord, I wanna invite you into that today. I wanna implore you to do that today. See, Jesus has made it possible for you through, the, through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection, he has made it possible for you, for him to call your name and to receive new life. It's available to you. This isn't some secret society. It's available to anyone. And this hopefulness that we can talk about with gusto and with hope and with promise, that is only available because of who Jesus is and what he's done. And my question is, if you have not accepted that, will you make that decision? Will you join in that that grand invasion of earth? Will you join that? To the Coops and the Daggetts and the Elliots, 
and the Robinsons, I wanna challenge you to grieve well. Grieve in each one of those spaces and never forget that Jesus has the last word. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that you have the last word. We are thankful that we are not bound by death. We are thankful that one day you are gonna call the names of those who are with you out of our tombs. We're going to unwind our grave clothes and we're gonna be new. As our body mourns and grieves and different families in our body mourn and grieve this week, Help us to cling to your son, Jesus. And help us to mourn well. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.